It's Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, and you're listening to episode 609 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 51 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. This is Wayne. All right, two quick announcements, and then we're going to get into it. Announcement number one is the Kickstarter for Fear the Con is out there. It is live. It is going well, at least as of this recording. It's around the 60% mark, which I'm feeling pretty good about. I'd feel better if we were past the 100% and we started working towards those stretch goals, though. Yeah, get some wing night in there, do whatever we can do, but... I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're interested in backing that Kickstarter, coming out to join us for some gaming, whatever, I absolutely hope you will. And then the second one is I want to give another mention to a show that right now Wayne and Dot and Chris Hussey are doing, which is Bite Size Tales, which is a flash fiction podcast. Now, Wayne, the definition of flash fiction... We've typically used it one way, but I don't know it has a hard and fast definition. Yeah, it is. The actual word count does vary, but flash fiction should be around a thousand words. Yes, it's typically a thousand words or fewer, but I don't know that that's like fixed into the definition of the word the way that say, well, this fad isn't really around much, or at least I don't hear much about it, but like a drabble had to be exactly 100 words. Right. And that was the definition. I don't know that flash fiction does. So that's the length yeah. you guys are going with. Yeah, we a, consider flash fiction to be anywhere between one and 2,000 words. So, so we, ra- we aim for that range. So out of curiosity, about how long does an episode of the show go? The story itself will be anywhere from five to eight minutes. Okay. Uh, an episode will be a little bit longer than that. Brief intro, author's notes, music, production thrown into it, as well as, of course, the outro. Some episodes, though, like our first episode, mm-hmm. we had a story from each of us on there. Yeah. That one was like 24 minutes because it had three stories on it. And that will be something we do occasionally. A regular episode is one story. But for special occasions, we do put together the batches that will have stories from all of us that are to the same theme. Okay. But either way, eminently listenable on in short doses if you're looking for short fiction or... Yeah. or... Our pitch is, this is something you can listen to over our lunch break. Yeah. It's a short lunch break. <laughs> well, not going to take up your whole lunch break. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, yes, you could listen to it over a lunch break, right? The same way that a multi-billionaire does have $1. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is true. Yes, you could listen to this over a lunch break. All right. So what we're going to talk about today, Wayne had a lovely little topic here. And Wayne, do you want to set it up? Yeah. So I started thinking the other day about different game mechanics and what are mechanics I love from certain systems and talking about just you know why I like them. And that got me wondering if there's something about the mechanics that I love that say something about me and my gaming. Yeah. And can I learn something from that to improve my gaming, to enjoy it more? Yeah. Like, why do I love the things I love? And, and I think right there, that's the more interesting question, is what mechanics do you like? That's a great question on its own. But I don't think it tells the same story that Y tells. Because, like, for example, let's take my car. 
my current vehicle has a it's not super sophisticated but has a console screen where it can show different apps for my phone and obviously the two that i use the most one is navigational the other is music now navigation alone would be cool but why do i use the music one well because I listen to music that fits my mood and I've got different channels for different occasions or whatever. And I like that sound while I'm in my car, but I've also grown very weary of commercials and the current top 40 and yeah. whatever. And so it says something about me to want that. Whereas for example, I don't care. There's no cigarette lighter in my car. <laughs> and that says something about, right. Yeah. If, if I was a smoker or whatever, then I, that'd be a huge miss to me and i really so i'll go first on this one because one of the mechanics i love in games is the meta currency that lets you modify dice rolls you bastard you just took that my can first be... one. I, I had that on my list <laughs> damn it re-rolls yeah <laughs> that can be bullets and skies of glass yep fate chip points and fate Benny's and Savage World. Edge and Battletech slash yeah. I say Edge and Battletech. There's also slightly different but same theme. Things like Essence Dice Pools and Exalted, where you literally just have a pool to draw from. And I'm like, I need Can't to add 10 this? dice to this roll. I'm going to do that. It, don't most World of Darkness games have something like that as yeah, well? Yeah, where... Exalted is World of Darkness. Yeah, so okay. Or not World of Darkness, but White Wolf. White so Wolf, it's a similar yeah. system, yes. Okay, so I thought yeah. like in like Vampire and such, like you could stress your humanity mm-hmm. to get some added dice. Where it's, it's a limited some... it's resource, but you can also just be like, I want to succeed at this roll, so I'm going to throw all the dice yep. at it. Well, and that gets to the heart of what I love about it. You could go with the obvious, I roll poorly. And sure. that is a way to mitigate that. But what I really love about it is... You can choose what roles are the important roles. Yes. Yeah. You can choose which ones you are going to let yourself fail at and which ones you want that added bonus to because from a story standpoint, it's a better story outcome for you to be successful in that role. I can, at a game table, choose this is the important role for me. I am going all in. Yeah. I am mm-hmm. modifying that because, damn it, no, I am not going to fail this dice roll because this is what my character is good at. Yeah, no. I- yeah, and, and all the mechanics we're talking about, I like specifically because it's not an instant win. It's not a, I'm just going to add five to this roll. It's a, I'm giving myself a better chance, but there's still a chance of failure. Yeah, I can go through my entire stack of bennies and still fail. Yeah. I can spend a Benny and critically fail and can't spend another one. Right. You know, same thing with the bullets. I can throw the bullets at it, and now I have no bullets for the next thing. Right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And for the same two reasons you stated, that one, it allows me to try and fix something that was really important to me, but tied into that is a budget. That every time I do this, I am having to make the decision of does this fit within my budget? I've got this fixed economy to spend and I have to decide, do I care about this enough or do I believe something else is coming up? That's that's the big one. That is the, do I do this now? Do I need to save it for later? I don't know. Yeah. Is this important enough right now to make that decision? Well, and my biggest piece of advice that comes out of this is as a GM, I watch what my players spend their currency on. Oh, yeah. Because that tells me what they think is more important versus other things. One player spends all of them on social interactions. Mm -hmm. I know that is the important part of the game to that player. Right. One player saves them all for combat because they don't want to fail combat. I know they want to be mechanically awesome in a battle. 
or or even more specifically, he can determine it. It's one of those where it's like, I don't care how much damage I do. I just want to be able to hit them or yes. something like that, where it's specific aspects of combat that they really want and, to be. And able in that to case, I might at. throw a lot of very weak things at them that right. are easy to hit. Yeah. Because it's more important to them that they're hitting every time, not that they're doing big damage. Yeah, that's and when there's another thought in there, I would add of it's it's not just watching when they do it, but listen to the things that people say because when they go to re-roll it, they will talk loud, sometimes just spitballing of you know I really want to hit this guy because he really pissed me off by doing this, whatever the case is, or conversely. The table conversation that happens of, wow, you know, Wayne, you just lost that large laser in your left arm. Maybe you should edge that location roll or something. (laughs) But then it'd be like, no, because there's something much bigger. Like, I've got exposed ammo in my right torso. I'm saving that edge for if that ammo gets hit. Or I'm saving that to make sure that when I have to make the piloting check to pick up the cargo, that I've got all of my edge there to keep re-rolling against that so we can get it and get out of here. And so... There's both an individual conversation and also a table-level conversation. Yeah, if you look at the AP of Skies of Glass, Chad never spent his bullets Mm -mm. unless it was to buy down consequences. Yeah. The one thing he cared about more than anything else was never having a character die in Skies of Glass. Yeah. And we were able to tell that not just because he told us. We could tell it by how he spent his meta-currency. He Saved all of it. Didn't use any of it in role play. Yeah. Didn't yeah. use any of it for anything other than making sure his character did not die. Because he is not a person that wanted to create a new character. He wanted to play that one through. Yeah. That told us a lot about his play style in that game. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Wayne, since you were a bastard and took <laughs> something from both Mary and I uh, on your first shot, I'm going to go next before you take my... Well, you probably won't take this one. This is a big one to me. I want a skill check, and this is true in all of the games I write as well, so you'll notice this, but I want skill checks to also include the attribute and vice versa. I want attribute checks to typically involve a skill because of the fact that I feel like they ought to have an organic relationship, that someone who is clumsy and uncoordinated, no matter how much they practice, no matter how on paper they ought to be good at something, doesn't mean they can actually throw a knife and put it in the bullseye of a, of a target or whatever because of the fact that they're a clumsy individual. And so I like to look at a character as attributes are the raw potential of a person, whereas skills are the refined abilities of a person. And I see these as two separate things, which I am glad to see that as of right now, there's a pretty good chunk of role-playing games that are already doing this, that tie together the attribute check and the skill check. D&D 5e is an obvious example. But this is something that for a long time was not true. A skill check was one thing, an attribute check was another. The attributes might figure into the game, but they were not part of your skill check. Yeah, like Savage Worlds does not do what you're describing. No, it does not. In Savage Worlds, you have your you know, your attributes... And your skills are tied to them, and you can it determines how high they can go. Yeah. But you're not rolling both of them. You're rolling yeah. one. I mean, this is a bit reductive, but in a way, you could almost write a Savage Worlds character sheet where everyone has a fixed number of skills at the top of their skill list that is the attribute list. 
I mean, I, I realize it's not totally true because of the way they cap skills and such, but there is some truth to that. And I like the idea that all the parts of a character sheet work together. And I like that partially because to me, I think that describes the human experience because we tend to lean on our strengths and dodge our weaknesses. People who have time will spend time, not money. People who have money, but not time will spend money, but not time. And so we tend to use what we have to cover what we don't have. And we learn how to adapt and how to get around certain things. I I once heard a joke that a synonym is the word you use in place of the one you can't remember. And I like looking at my character sheet in the same way, but I also like it because while this does mean there are still going to be some things my character is just naturally good at and some things my character just isn't good at, there's a lot more wiggle room in the middle. And I know a lot of people complain about players that always try to find an excuse to use the skill that they're best at. But let's face it, that's what people do in real life. That is what Oh, hell yeah. If you have different ways to approach something, you're going to approach it in the way that you are better at. Well, yeah. And that's one of those things where I do love uh, games that do combine skill and attribute where you have two separate things and you put them together. I really, really love games that let you rely on different attributes based on the situation, even though it's the same skill. Yes, that's exactly what I do in my homebrews is I allow people to sell me, or oftentimes I'll even give options. Right. Like, I want you to roll a check on this. I'll accept this attribute or that attribute, your choice. Now, sometimes that's a little bit more fixed. Like, right. <laughs> shooting a gun is always going to go to dexterity, agility, something like that. Right. There are limitations. Trying to repair the gun is going to go to intelligence. You know, trying to understand it is going to go to intelligence. Yeah, there are a couple but, of games like, like Traveler does that, too. Yeah. You make the case of what you're using for your base, and then you're doing your skill with it. So, like, the guns are a great example. N- having knowledge of guns would be, say, intelligence and your gun skill. Yeah. Having, being I, able to actually shoot would be, like, agility and your gun skill. Unless you're a Marine who has broken apart this gun and put it back together so many times that it's no longer intelligent. It is now reflexive and it's yep. it's you're relying on a different skill. Like it's you can make arguments for a lot of things exactly. and that's the fun part from both sides, from a GM perspective and from a player's perspective, to allow again somebody to do something that they might not have the raw potential in one area for, but to have that argument to be like, I'm gonna try it this way and think my way around this instead of brute forcing it. You know, that's one I didn't think about until you brought it up. I love that in games where you, you do have that ability to make that stat versus skill and it, pick the stat that makes more sense. It can Instead, also become a uh, an, a negotiation between player and GM. Like, yeah. I, I want to do it this way. And it's like, I don't see how you're going to do that. And they're like, here's the argument. Yeah. And, you know? and I know that sometimes that does give an advantage to overly clever players. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But having said that, I think... The freedom to do it is worth that potential abuse because the abuse is relatively minor compared to its benefit, particularly assuming the players are not combative in nature. Right. And, and if they are, yeah. you get a different group. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, and it's... and particularly if the GM has final say, we're yeah. just like, no, you can't try that. And that, again, doesn't happen arbitrarily, but it's one of those where like you keep trying to work your way around this and it's just not possible. I'm going to go next, and I'm going to take one that I'm pretty sure we all agree on. Go ahead and take it off the table, but I am a huge fan of life path character creation. 
You bogarted Wayne. <laughs> I like revenge mechanics. <laughs> oh, I when I made the suggestion of it earlier, I was thinking about you and Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah, yeah. Which okay, so to explain that for anyone that's new to the show or just doesn't remember that. My preferred version of the Star Trek RPG by a million miles. I have never played a version of Star Trek that I thought came even close to this. Was the FASA second edition one from like the late 80s. I guess it's probably still in print in the real early 90s, mostly late 80s. And when you made your character in that, you started off by saying, okay, this is my childhood. This is what I did while growing up. And you get a certain number of dice and then a fixed list of skills. You can't, without debating it with the GM, you can't be like a phaser technician. You have to, it has to have been something like, were you playing a sport? Did you learn another language? Did you learn to pickpocket? Something that a child would plausibly have done. And you now have to make some decisions about who you were. And then that then ties into, okay, so now you go into Starfleet, general basic training and you get a fixed set of skills because Starfleet assigned them. But then you have electives. Mm -hmm. And then as you come out of the electives, you go to your branch school, you might go to command school, and then you do your tours of duty. You have your cadet crews, you have your shakedown crews, and then you have your tours of duty that determine where were you, how well did it go, how long were you there, and as a result, when the game starts, how old are you? The Mech Warrior systems had similar life paths, especially with the tours of duty and stuff like that. You had a, an incident role within, you know, that tour of duty. Yeah. Did it go badly? Did you lose a limb? Like, yeah. did you come out of it with honors? If what happened? If you're a traveler, did you survive? Yeah, like it's... <laughs> exactly. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, the traveler system, to the best of my knowledge, is by far, at least of any substantive role-playing game, the most exhaustive and detailed of them. But yeah. it's my understanding that the people at FASA that designed the life path systems for Star Trek and the earlier MechWarrior stuff, that they apparently had a background with Traveler, and they wanted to take that process and keep it, but they wanted to streamline it. Yeah, well, and my very first RPG ever, that version of Skies of Glass... Had a life path. Yeah, it did. And future versions haven't had that anymore, but that version did. And that was one of the first things I was exposed to while creating my very first character, was roles to see what happened through childhood. I love it for creating characters. As a GM, if I'm running a one-shot, I want an alternate version of character creation, though. That Yeah, it makes sense, because that's a lot of effort to put into an Oh, it NPC is, you. yes. Yeah. yeah, I want to be able to come up with my one-shot scenario, and my characters, and build them. Right. As a player, I love the discovery, but for one-shot, that's the one thing. I bought one of the additional books for Traveler that gives the alternate character creation just because I want to be able to run one-shots and have pre-gen characters without sitting there and rolling up a whole history. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so Mary, I've got my own reasons written here. But why do you like the life path sort of system? So specifically what I like about life path and just talking about personal preferences for character creation. One of the things that I struggle with is I am okay with overarching stories. Like I'm pretty good at being like this thing happened and this thing happened. But what happened with like the details of those decisions are a lot harder for me. 
like the actual what does this mean on a skill level what does this mean on a trauma level uh having those details be something that i can be like i make the broad decisions and then here's this set skills that i would have learned and also here's this random chance of something happening make for a much richer, more interesting background Mm -hmm. and a more fleshed out character when I'm done. Yeah, it makes you do things you wouldn't have chosen. Yes. And sometimes for me, I like that. Sometimes for other players, I like it because they're in ruts and they don't get there. Yes. (laughs) And it forces people out of their ruts. You know, what you guys are, are talking about, the points I had, they're a little more zoomed in, they're a little more specific, but they fit nicely under that sort of thesis you guys just stated of number one, life doesn't always go your way. The fact that you wanted to be the biggest, baddest barbarian in the world, or you really wanted to be a wizard, but you just didn't have what it took, or you went in and got kicked out or something happened. The first time you tried to cast Burning Hands, you don't have you're a that couple dwarf of your fingers. You're that Dragon Age who wants to go to mage school even though you can't use magic because you're a dwarf. Yes, like, I can't remember the character's name. I, yeah, I don't either. Just like, but she ended up, I think, making runes. But yeah. yeah, so life doesn't go your way. The second thing I had in there is that it makes you develop your history in ways you may not have thought about. How many people would have written themselves going through different tours of duty, oftentimes in weird places. Like you can get sent back to the Academy in in Star Trek as an instructor because they pulled you off a ship. Well, why? Is this because you were so good at your job, they wanted you to teach somebody? Was it because you were bored and wanted a change of scenes? Did you have interpersonal conflicts so they had to pull you out for some reason? Were you not getting along with your captain? There's any number of reasons here. Did you suck so bad they just laterally demoted you? But then the, the third thing is it creates these beautiful, organic moments. One example I have, once again, going back to Star Trek, the last game of that that I ran, the group was making their characters, and they kept having elective dice come up, and they didn't know what to do with them. And by coincidence, they noticed that they were all putting them into geology. And so they decided that they had all been, because they'd also decided that they wanted to all know each other. So there was some, it was like zero G grav ball, blitz ball. I don't know what the hell it was. Gwent (laughs) sport that they were all playing, that they had dice in. But then they also had dice in geology. And so they decided that, well, because they were on the sports team and that's why the academy kept them around, but you know, the coach has to teach something else, so they were all in rocks for jocks. <laughs> <laughs> and that became a running gag throughout the campaign of the fact that they had all been in rocks for jocks. And it was this, they all had like tiny, tiny scores in geology because it was a blow-off class. Nobody would have done this if it had not been for the accidental happiness of that life path. Well, yeah. And you hit on something that I like in some of these modern games that they don't have full life path. They'll have things like, this is growing up, this is teen years, this is your first adventure. But the ones that make you tie into the other characters at those points, where you have to pick somebody else around the table to have been involved with each phase of your life. Yeah. yeah. I love having that built into the mechanics of building the character. Yeah, and, and the Star Trek game didn't do that because, of course, it's a military. You're getting right. assigned. You may or may not have known each other, so that's, that's a role-playing choice. But it created enough instances like that where there was some overlap that you could start asking those questions. 
like if all of us rolled the exact same thing for our cadet crews, were we on the same ship? Yeah. And why wouldn't we be? Like, yeah. like how would that make the story better if we weren't? Because it seems pretty obvious that it would make the story better if we were. And yeah. either well, way, it's a choice. And I've seen that with Traveler character creation, where two characters rolled that they were in a horrific battle. And so they both are like, okay, we were in the same battle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we yeah. fought side by side and it made those connections because of the roles. Yeah. Well, and that is one of the things where uh, life path character creation on its own, I enjoy. But that is one of those character creations where sitting down as a group and doing it together is that much richer. No, I completely yeah. agree. Life paths done by yourself, they don't yield the same qualitative benefits, I think, that yeah. doing it as a group does. Wayne, do you want to go next? Or you want me to go next? I'll go next. All right. Next one. Picked out. I need to turn my paper over. I'm worried he's cheating off me now. (laughs) Now, see, this one is like all of these others have been about building the character and how the characters interact and being able to choose what's important. This is a purely a me thing. Okay. I have bought a lot of dice. They come in different sizes. I want to use all the different types of dice. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. (laughs) You guys know, or at least Wayne, you know, I think. Do you guys know what my personal crusade is that... It's not Skies of Glass, it's not Epochorisos, but one of these days. The D30. It's the D30. God bless. Yes. Yes. The D30. Bring back the D30. I own a few of them. I don't know if they still make them or not, to be honest. Maybe. I have one. They do still make okay, them. Okay, they do still make them. They're not common. They're really rare. Oh, but I lost damn mine it. in my divorce. Tell me that is not the most neglected die. Oh, they're, they're brilliant. It's, it's used for only one thing. You need a table. And it's got too many items for 20 and too few for 100. The yep. last one I bought, it came in a package of, this dice really exists? <laughs> yeah. And one of them was a th- Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That I, I want there to be more use of the D30. And it's also yeah. just so satisfying to roll. Because not like a D100 where you can't read it, whatever it comes up on. Yeah, you're rolling a golf ball with 100. But a D30 can still be almost that big, but it's practical. Like, it doesn't roll yes. forever. It has a side. It's going to give you a number. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just satisfying to throw. Yeah, I get frustrated if I play too many games in a row that are strictly D6s or strictly D10s. Because, you know, basically you look at a lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse, you're either rolling D6s or D10s, and that's it. Well, and I do. I want to use all the dice I've bought, but I've also bought, I've played a lot of early Shadowrun, so I, or, and actually a lot of like tabletop. Warhammer too. So I'm like, I have a lot of D6s and there is something satisfying about throwing 36 D6. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So as long as I'm throwing a lot of the same kind of die, I'm okay. We'll take I played champions once and I rolled I want to say it was 22 D6s all at once. Oh yeah. And there was something super and satisfying and it was just a lot of fun. Yes. But I like having that wasn't the only thing I rolled in that game. I was rolling that for the damage. But I rolled something else to attack, and a different attack took different numbers. I have a variety. I want to use them all. And just limiting to one die type, I get why people do it, but... It's even more frustrating when it's like, you only get to roll 2d6 for this whole game. You you can't get... Like, it. that's yeah. it. That's well, all. And I, what it tells me about me is, I also have that same issue on character sheets. I hate having a list of skills and never using some of them. Mm. And so for me, as a player, I have a lot of buttons. I want to press all of them. I want everything to matter. I want all of my dice types to matter. I want all of my skills to matter. I want all of my aspects to matter. And I don't like having something on my sheet that never gets touched and used. That is a purely mechanical and mind thing. I don't know 
how I would give advice to GMs about me as a player. But I know other people feel that same way. As a game selection's all I could give you. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. From a GM standpoint, if I know a player is like that and they want all of their skills to be used, for example, I will find reasons to call for skill roles that don't get commonly used because I know that they have that on their sheet. You'll find the opportunity the one time that a mm, geology role is going to be the important role. That's more game mastering advice than a rules comment, but I do agree with you that GMs, take a look at what your players have on their sheets and don't be like, wow, sucks you're a geologist in a game that there's nothing about geology. Now, if that was the group template that we're going to be in a gas giant this whole game, there are no rocks anywhere. Okay, fine. That was their fault. But if it's plausible and they took it and you're just like, no, you never get to use it, that is a bit. If a player cruel. bumped up their stealth and you never give them a chance to sneak, yeah. they yeah. cared about it enough to You know, Wayne, so in Epoch of Riosos, I use D4 through D12. The only reason I don't go above D12 is because while they exist, the D14, 16, and 18 are so rare that there is not a good readily available way of smoothing over the jump from D12 yeah, to D20. It's a huge jump. It's, right. yeah, it's an 8-point jump. Everything up to that's a 2-point jump. But I suspect that's probably why Savage Worlds does the same thing. I would guess so, yeah. The reason that with Skies of Glass in its current iteration uses only D6s outside of an optional D12 for hit location is because of the fact that when I was making the game, I wanted to keep it so that it was as approachable as possible with whatever was handy. Everyone, even if they don't play role-playing games... Has six sided dice in their house. You've got a, a mon- copy of Monopoly. You've got, yeah, or exactly. Monopoly Yahtzee or something. Or, yeah. And you've got a six sided die yeah. sitting around. Well, and I remembered that from the design decision for it. And yeah. it it makes sense with that in mind. Yeah. But just overall, it means I would want to play something. I don't want to go from, say, Skies of Glass directly into Blades in the Dark. No, that's which fair. Which we did. Yeah. Two games where I'm only using my D6s. I'm going to go next, and the one that I'm going to give is I don't want it to be super detailed. Injury. Now, in at least older editions of Shadowrun and older editions of Savage Worlds, and I'm saying older because I don't know what goes on currently, it was real simple. You take a light wound, every die is at a minus one penalty, or every target number, whatever it was. Savage Worlds is basically the same way. So you take wounds, you just keep taking penalties. It was real simple. Obviously, Skies of Glass does it a whole lot more complicated because it's a survival game. So you have to deal with wounds, and if you want to, infection and healing and stabilization and all this other stuff. But I have always been mildly bothered by something in D&D where it's a monster with one hit point and a monster with all of its hit points function the exact same way. Yeah, there are a lot of yeah. a lot of sections and rule books trying to justify that one and as being these aren't actually damage you're doing. It's energy. It's there's a lot that. of justification. They have tr- yes. okay. No, I'm, I'm lo- aware. <laughs> there's a lot of copium huffing about 
oh, they're not hit points. It's a form of luck or it's a form of karma that's getting whittled down that you're not actually injured until the final hit. Mm-hmm. But then why I, are they called cure? Why are the spells called cure wounds? Right, exactly. Why is the yes. skill like, called medicine? Because we are back justifying a thing yeah, that doesn't make exactly. logical sense. You, know, you I, don't go to confession or go get blessed and get your hit points back. Right. Yeah, I buy this for fate where it is stress. Yeah. And yeah. you are taking stress to avoid the actual injury. Yeah. yeah. In that case, I completely buy that. It's reasonable. Yeah, the, the D&D stuff, I don't but buy But not when second. you have hit points. No, and, I, it's the difference between a heroic fantasy adventure and a more realistic system, but it, it does change the feel a great deal. I think one of my preferences, and I don't know a lot of systems that do this, I can only think of right now, Skies of Glass, I like having, in fact, different things. Well, you that, get hit in the leg, your speed is inf- affected, but you don't get a negative to your intelligence roll. Right, hit versus, locations are a thing. Yeah, versus a I lot like. of other games. Versus every at, die roll. Yes, yeah. every die roll is then affected, even if it makes no sense that that particular skill would be affected. Yeah, I had Battle the, Tech's the same way. Where yes. Like, you have specific effects for hitting a specific area and now you can't use that arm and therefore you can't use that gun anymore this mech's not dead but it's so beat up we can move on to something else this is something i actually had to talk to my current DD group about because many of them are relatively new to the game or new to role playing in general was we'd like walk into a room and there'd be like six bugbears like well i'm gonna attack bugbear one well i'll fight bugbear two well well stop So what we have is six injured bugbears attacking at the same damage, same number of attacks. No, kill one. (laughs) And in something like Battletech or something like Skies of Glass or even Shadowrun, okay, beat it up a bit. And now somebody else is stressing you. You can leave that person alone or leave that mech alone and move on to something else for a little bit because of the fact that you have not defeated it, but you have weakened it. And I think the one that drives me nuts even more than injury doesn't matter is, and I'm okay with this in certain situations, plot battles, certain enemies, but for 99% of encounters, and not a lot of games do this. This is more of a video game thing than a role-playing game thing. Why is a nearly dead enemy more powerful? (laughs) (laughs) Like you have been chopping their limbs apart for the past half hour and all of a sudden they go beast mode on you. Once again, I get it sort of because it creates a stress to the gameplay, but in a role playing game in particular, it just fine. I get it. People go berserk. People panic because it's fight or flight. Well, like you said, it can make sense in situations. Yeah. If somebody knows they are going to die, they now no longer care about self-preservation. They're willing to do a wild attack. Yeah, and I'm blanking on the game, but I actually played a role-playing game that allowed you to do that, where you could exacerbate a wound. So you could ignore a wound, but then when the battle was over and you came out of that, you actually took more wounds. That's like you could say... Okay, I got my leg hurt really bad, but I'm going to act like it wasn't hurt and just let the adrenaline go and keep running and keep fighting full power. But when that combat ends, because you ignored that injury rather than trying to let your body adjust to it, right? So no, no, you, you now no take longer, an additional injury. Right. You no longer have a sprained ankle. You have broken your, your, your yeah, ankle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or radically inflamed the sprain right. or something. It will to now that take effect. weeks to heal instead of days. Yeah. 
Precisely, and I can't think what game that was. Yeah, I really like that. I do get frustrated on the games that basically you get more and more negatives as you get injured because some of them make you feel like at that point you're completely ineffective. Yeah. Which yeah. is what we're saying we like against our enemies, but we don't like when we don't... I don't know. I think even amongst friends or on the player side, I still think it's kind of a good thing because it makes you rely on each other a bit. Yeah. It's like, okay, so-and-so's injured, cycle them to the back. Or in Battletech, so-and-so got the crap kicked out of their mech. I don't know. Maybe next time don't run straight up the middle by yourself <laughs> with no cover. And, or, or, you know, provoke the herd of wild Jenner. Or, you know. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. I'll look I mean, at my favorite game to poke, Blades in the Dark. <laughs> if I have taken a wound, an injury, and now I'm operating at less effect, I don't feel like there's a point to me to even roll. Because I yeah. cannot do anything to add anything unless I get extra effect which i can't do with a with that negative well and there are certain ways that sometimes i like it even if you've got dice pools and i can't remember which way a lot of the world or, or white wolf systems do but one way you decrease dice pools so you just roll fewer dice but you're still aiming for the same target numbers mm-hmm. and another way wounds will increase your target numbers so you have to roll higher on whatever you're rolling to do anything and fewer dice doesn't bother me nearly as much as the target number increase. You know what's interesting about that, though, is with the right mix, the math is identical. Yes. The statistics of it, if we, and I'd have to do some napkin math that I'm not going to stop the show to do, but if you had a certain number of D10s, removing X dice or raising the target number from Y to Z would have the same statistical effect, but there is that point and it matters yeah. of how does it feel to the player right well this is one of the things i was talking about with some of the D stuff one of the things that i raised against that where i said you know the people at watsi here that are making these decisions don't get gamers is we're tactile pack rats <laughs> i mean every gamer at least most gamers own tons and tons and tons of books and resources and accessories that they rarely or never use why because we like it feels good to us we like having it we like stuff and so in the same way sometimes a rule is is only right or wrong not because of what it does mechanically because of how it feels do you feel better trying to roll for an eight instead of a seven or do you feel better rolling a handful of dice as opposed to rolling a few dice and you know i that's that matters yeah mary you're up next this one's going to be a little bit weird and maybe tied a little bit to Life Path, and this is very much a personal thing. But I super enjoy randomness, including to the point of character creation. So there are certain Uh-oh. systems... So are you a method one? Uh, no, not that extent. Yeah, I don't want to roll 3d6 down the line and then have to work with that. And then see what That's, race and class you can be. <laughs> yeah, which is usually none of them. That's excessive. But no, it's always fighter. <laughs> Because they have no requirements. Right. Nothing else. No. I'm a human fighter. Again. (laughs) Again. As always. No, but I do like systems. The one that I was thinking of specifically was, and I'm going to forget who did the system, but Warhammer Fantasy, the first role-playing game before Fantasy Flight got a hold of it and turned it into a... Had, and you didn't have to, but you could roll randomly for your race, for what class you get or uh, they're not classes, but you know what I mean, character archetype. And sometimes that is one of the most entertaining things, because again, it gives you a character you wouldn't necessarily have built. It gives you a character you don't necessarily have to go with, 
but it's fun. Yeah, even D&D 5e has a few things in character creation that you can roll for. Your random item that you have on you. There's yeah, your trinket. Just, yeah. Sometimes those are fun. You roll the trinket, you see what it is, and then you create the story right, behind it. Right, you work it. it into your character. And one of the things I like about, specifically, uh, the Warhammer Fantasy RPG was there were things that were harder to roll. If you wanted to be a troll slayer, this iconic character in the, at least the novel lore, you had to roll like a 99 or 100 on a 100 or D percentile. And if you actually made that role and got to be that character by the dice, it was really cool. Like, it, it's super memorable. So that's one of the things that I've always really liked. And I don't own those books anymore. But yes, I do remember that system specifically being a, you could literally roll a character start to finish. We did that with an entire character or entire game group once. And you, we literally rolled from start to finish everything you could possibly roll and ended up with three characters named Rudiger. Because they were rolling randomly names as well. So you just ended up with three humans who happened to have the same name. And it's just like, well, now this is a story. So I've got one more and then Wayne's got one more. My last one that I got on my list is something that Blades does, though Blades is not the only one that does it. There's a couple other games that do it. But Blades in the Dark, I think, is probably the most recent example I've played of this. Where you are not just building your character. You are building something else. You have some other objective. And I don't care if it's a gang. I don't care if it's a city. I don't care if it's an old tribe. I don't care if it's a project I'm working on of this huge Scorpio death cannon. I just like the idea that there is something else other than my character that I am working to advance that has meaning. It's not just description and role play but there's actually a little bit of crunch decision making flow chart whatever to it there's some kind of mechanical significance to the world that is not yes exactly that i can now do this but it's not a button on my character sheet i'm pressing it's a button on this other character sheet or other template or worksheet that i'm pressing but i made that button exactly and And i paid for that button somehow i worked for that button but now it's there and so now I have my own hideaway or whatever it might be. It's a milder version of that. But I can think of a few other examples in things like masks, where the first thing you do is you create your supergroup and everyone's making decisions and adding things to it. I like that aspect of you're not just building mechanically your character, you're building the group. Dresden Files, you're building the city, yeah. things like that. The question kind of about Dresden, and I'm admitting here that my experience with Dresden is much more limited than yours. Yeah, you came in mid-campaign. Yeah. You missed the whole city building. So I, I know you build the city at the outset, but does it evolve as the game goes on in a way that the players decide? Like, can they say something like, well, we're just going to spend this many advancement points so that this city block now has a club that's friendly to... I don't know, whatever they call such non-normal people. There is nothing mechanically laid out like that. You are supposed to evolve it through the role play. So it's pure story. It is supposed to be a living document that changes. See, that's what I'm talking about. But that's entirely points. Yeah, Yeah. I'd I'd love it if they codified it just a little. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it needs to be like its own source book. 
Well, they just codified it a little. Uh, what's the other? Uh, I'm stuck in Warhammer tonight. I think Rogue Trader does a similar thing where you not only build your characters, but you build the ship that you're on, your actual trading ship. Like mm-hmm. that is uh, built as a part of character creation. Uh, as a group. I love community building stories. I love games where you're building communities. I want more of that mechanically in my role-playing games where you are building things and you have that separate sheet and what you're doing is building up that community. Yeah. The nice thing about that kind of thing is that as you go on, there are going to be players who care about it more than others, but everybody can either help or, you know, some people will throw in much more because it matters to their character. I want those in-character arguments about what is the important thing to focus on. Yeah, yeah. And and who's just like, I don't care. Here's my, you know, monthly rent. Do what you want with it. And somebody's like, no, no, we have to, like, put kittens in this corner because that's <laughs> important to me. <You> know? <laughs> that didn't make any sense, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so my last one is one that... I don't see in nearly enough game. The closest I can really point to are things like fate aspects. I like when characteristics of a character are used for good and negative. So, for example, let's say somebody is a runner. They're going to be fast. They're probably also going to have had a history of knee surgeries. (laughs) Let's say somebody is intelligent. They may start overthinking things because of that and miss the obvious. Or there's any number of things... They say people that are intelligent are more likely to be depressed. But things like that, where it is a double-edged sword, I love that. Because people look at something as either a positive or a negative, when in a lot of cases, it's both. The outgoing person is going to make things happen. The outgoing person is also going to stick out in a crowd and be easy to point out. The famous person is going to get things given to them, but they also can't hide very well. Because they're going to be easy to pick out of a crowd. Yeah, the obvious example there, of course, is any of the fate stuff or fudge stuff because those aspects. Yeah, the aspects yeah, can, can be used. The aspects can be tagged yeah. either direction. But I, I'm trying to think of something that plays like that outside of that. And the first thing that comes to mind is actually a video game. In the game RimWorld, a lot of negative traits have a positive aspect and vice versa. For a while there, kind of like how I play XCOM using people I know. I played a game of RimWorld, and the crew that crashed in the ship that sets up the culture or whatever was all people I knew. Yeah, I've thought about something like running a game of Savage Worlds and picking the edges and hindrances to be the balanced opposites well, of each other. That's what yeah. I was thinking. The, the closest I can think of in a lot of cases are those flaws and benefit systems where you, if you do it right, you, they do balance. Like you have point wise, they have to balance, but you can pick it so that they are the polar opposites or they affect the same thing yeah. just in different ways. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking like, Fallout New Vegas too. That's a case of there's faction systems. Yeah. That essentially you have a positive reputation with one faction. That means this other faction might like you, this other faction might hate you. Yeah. I like things like that where it's a little more nuanced than you have this and it's a great thing. I want it to be you have this and it's a great thing in this situation, but it could be a bad thing in this. I want more mechanical aspects. And I think that to me is just a case of I want the characters to be more nuanced. I don't want the stereotype of he's the big, strong, tough guy. Well, I want there to be a downside to being the big, strong, tough guy. Yeah, like I said, the closest I'm coming up with for this 
is the video game room world. Because like in that group that I made with my own character, one of the traits, I won't say perk, one of the traits I gave myself was is something to the effect of I was a fast learner. So if I got tasked with something, I would study it, I would learn it pretty quickly, and I would focus on it. But doing that added to my anxiety and decreased my psychiatric state. And that would tend to lead to negative behaviors. So it'd be like, you want me to design and build a gun to protect us from raiders. I'll do it and it'll be perfect, but I'll be insufferable for a few days after that. And it was like, <laughs> and I did that with everybody. I don't remember because I don't have the game pulled up in front of me, of course, but I went down the thing like that and everyone had these pluses and minuses. And that was not multiple traits. It was not like I gave myself the trait of fast learner and the trait of easily stressed. That was one trait. Yeah. And it, but it had the age old question of at what cost? Yeah. Well, let's look at something like paranoid. Somebody is paranoid. That's obviously a negative thing. They have a problem trusting people around them. But who do you want to set up your defenses? Yeah, right. Yeah, you exactly. Or if you think you got a spy in the ranks or something like that, they should have a bonus to notice it. Well, <laughs> and I was playing uh, this uh, did not have the system, and it was frustrating. So I ended up doing it entirely in role play. But I I had a Shadowrun character once, and she was a Novacog addict. She was a drug addict, and they had stats for drugs. And all they did was really awesome things. Like, <laughs> made you really fast, increased your speed, increased your combat Just effectiveness. Just like in the real world. Exactly. But it was one of those things where I, like, I chose to play the downside of being a drug addict, yeah. even though the mechanics were all on the plus side. And it would be nice if, like, that kind of balance existed in a lot more places in real life. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's how it works in the real world, too. Like, Crocodile gives you the bite strength of a crocodile and hardened... <laughs> skin like leathery skin and whatever yeah. that's yeah exactly and yeah. you become somewhat you become a better swimmer a better ambush predator yeah it gets to the heart of my i don't think most things are yes or no's i think most things fall into gray areas of good and bad yeah. and most traits have good and bad aspects and a lot of things are so very situational that it's almost impossible to have a thing that is good in every possible situation and and not a negative ever. Alrighty, I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Once again, please check the show notes for links to two things, the Fear the Con Kickstarter and then also to Bite Size Tales. And we would love to hear your guys' thoughts, not just on what mechanics you like, but why you like them and why they make the game feel better to you. And... You know what? Let's try and keep it positive. Because I don't think on this show we mentioned in passing some things we didn't like. But that really wasn't our major focus. It was was rules we did like. Yeah, no. When I suggested the topic, I wanted a good, positive, fun episode. And I definitely ruled out a lot of, I could say this, but all I'm saying is that I don't like this and I wish it was better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm looking down my list and all of them. Once again, I may have had some subtopics that were negative. But the main topic was something I liked and wanted, not something I disliked. So, anyway, check the show notes once again. Other than that, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2023. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.